Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Welcome back to Ladies Who Law School Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And make sure to listen all the way to the very end of this episode. It's a jam-packed one for sure. But we have a discount code that will relate to what we're talking about during the episode because we don't want to give it away yet. So stay tuned. Yes. And please help us welcome our special guest. She got her bachelor's from Wheaton College, her JD from OCU Law. She has her own firm. She has a TED Talk. She works at the juvenile court on the referee docket. She's was named a super lawyer in 2019, and she also is the founder and CEO of Girl Attorney. Please help us welcome Miss Susan Carnes Curtis. Hi guys. Hi. Hi. How are you? Well, how are you guys? We're doing good. Getting through the day. That's for sure. I guess I have a quick question before we begin. Um, so you do the referee docket at the juvenile court, correct? Yes. So are you, is that like, are you a judge or special judge or how does that work? So it's interesting. It's, I, I anecdotally call it judge light. Um, I am not a judge. Uh, and in fact, I still have my private practice and anyone who is a special judge even, um, let alone a district judge, can't also be practicing law. So what I do as referee, and I think every courthouse can call the referee position kind of whatever they decide it is. In the juvenile court, my role there is limited to, I handle the in and out of custody dockets. Oh, what's a better way to say it? For the kids who are in detention, juvenile detention center. So for all those kids, I handle their probable cause hearing, right? So whether or not the the state has met their burden in the affidavit that was filed with them getting arrested. And most of the time there is probable cause, but sometimes there's not. So sometimes kids get let out of detention simply because the probable cause affidavit wasn't sufficient. So I, I decide that. And then the other thing that I handle are arraignments where kids, their parents are given just the copy of what was filed and their pretrial date. So that's why I handle the detention docket. Some of those kids are in custody. A lot of the arraignments are for kids who have been released from custody or never came into custody. But they're just coming again to get the charges and the new the next court date. The other thing I do is on the deprived docket, and that is... Having the hearing that any parent 
who's had their child brought into emergency custody to the state. They have a right to have a hearing on that um, within, I think it's two business days. I don't set it. It's my understanding. That's what I recall is the people who are seeing me are within two business days of their kiddo being kid or kiddos being brought into, into custody. And they have a right to have a hearing to dispute that. They actually have a right to continue it once and an attorney will be provided for them to challenge it. And then the other thing, the other option they have is to waive the hearing. And they're like, okay, we're just, let's not present testimony about what brought us here. I would like to just move on to what's next, right? And so in that case, they enter that. And then if they choose a hearing, then I preside over that. So, and decide whether or not the state has met their burden, that the kids, very abbreviated, that the state's met their burden to bring the kids into emergency care. So how do you get to that position? Are you appointed or do you just apply to do it? Yeah. So actually, I got a call from the hiring judge uh, Pemberton, and he asked me, would you ever consider doing this? Uh, it was not on my radar at all. And I had not thought about it. I do read a lot and care a lot about uh, issues of access to justice and criminal justice reform. And so he and I had had conversations related to that. But I, I don't practice criminal law. I'm a plaintiff's personal injury lawyer. So I definitely pushed back on it for that reason, because I don't like to do things I'm not proficient in, right? At least where I know what I don't know, mm-hmm. right? So I pushed back on a little bit, but he said, you know, I just think you'd be a good fit for the work. And I'm so glad because yeah. that I'll tell you, the first week or two were really rough because I didn't really know the lay of the land and there was very little time and opportunity for training. And so um, I didn't like, being responsible for a docket that was so unfamiliar. It was kind of scary because I, obviously the stakes are high and I thought, this is not ideal. It's the kind of thing that, you know, in your life, there's things you care about and you're willing to invest in beyond and outside your employment or your work. So I feel like it's kind of like that for me, only it's actually a job and I get paid to do it. So I'm like, this is great because I learn a lot. I feel like the role is meaningful. I work with people who mostly are also employed. There's a lot of volunteers, attorneys that contribute to that docket, but it's a community that I just have learned a lot about and um, I'm really admiring of, and I love to see them do their work. And, and as a litigator, I even love when, you know, the public defender is, you know, yeah, we dispute dispute probable cause and the state's (laughs) like, well, this is what we've got. And I'm like, let's go guys, you know, who's going to give me the best information because I get to make the decision. But I love an environment where it's not a rubber stamp space, right? I don't want to be a part of any part of a system that's like that. It's uh, a really small part of the whole system over there, but it's a a functioning system. I even, I don't actually love it when they appeal my decisions, right? But they can, and they do sometimes. And just from like the system, though, I love a system that works. And so the other thing, though, is like, I do love it when I'm appealed because I'm like, look, it's working. Right. They, they know they can appeal me and we'll see what if they if my decisions affirmed or not. But uh, it's a working, vibrant system on behalf of those kids and those families. And I am really proud to be a part of it. I, I asked that question because I interned at the PD's office in the juvenile 
uh, this past summer. So I'm pretty sure I saw you in the referee court. I didn't, I never wanted to like say anything cause it's like a professional setting, but, um, yeah, I just, I was always curious of like how you would have gotten to that position. Cause I knew you had private practice and to me as an intern, I was like, is she a judge? Like, you know, I didn't know. So <laughs> it's interesting because people, um, sometimes the parents will ask and I'm very direct. No, I'm not a judge. I'm, I'm a referee is what they call me. And, uh, I've had a, a few parents say, uh, can I request a judge? And I'm like, I'm sorry, you are actually stuck with me. But you get your decision if you have a hearing and you are not happy with it, the outcome you you may appeal me to a judge. So there's that. But it is kind of interesting because you know you want people. It's a scary time for them, uh, no matter their circumstances. It's hard and it's sad stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes I do feel like. I, I hate having to tell them, no, I'm not a judge because I think it might, if it were me, I'd be like, well, this is kind of a big deal, kids. Where's the judge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the term judge light. I mean, yeah. that, that goes good with the uh, the job and everything that you have to do. I mean, it seems very similar to a lot of the different criminal procedures that, you know, go on in like the regular system. And I think it's so cool that while you are a personal injury lawyer, you also have this civic duty as a lawyer and you're playing it out and someone asked you to do it and you were like, no, but then you thought about it and you're like, okay, I can probably do this. You know, that's really cool. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. I'm really thankful. And plus, it's one thing to care about a system that you're not engaged in. You can care about systems you're not engaged in, but now I'm engaged in it. And I'm I'm really thankful for that. I had no intention in becoming a criminal defense attorney, right? Or going to work for the state full-time as a prosecutor. I just didn't really know where I could be of any help in the system that I care about. And when that happened, it was definitely unexpected and it's been a big blessing. Every single day, 
Because sometimes in my work, I get to do things that are really meaningful on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? Like sometimes there's something really cool that happens every day. I'm like, damn, yes. <laughs> but that's with the personal injury stuff. But now that this is on my calendar, Monday through Friday, every single day, I'm using my law degree in a way that makes a big difference for real people. And that's another thing I'm really, I'd like to really, I encourage people, go see what Oklahoma Lawyers for Children, what you can do there, what you can do, because it does, it's, you know, using the education, the opportunities, our experiences to give back and to be people of who are ethical and respectful and kind and thoughtful, like any opportunity you have to lead is an opportunity to make a difference for the people that are affected by your decision-making. So I think I've been really lucky that that happened to be how my life changed about nine months ago because I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, how about you take us back to the beginning, the whole law journey? Um, I know we read some on your bio and you have like a pretty cool story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that in your journey into law school? Yeah. So in 2002, in the spring, I served on a jury and the jury. And I remember too, actually, I remember all my friends told me, you're not going to get to serve on a jury of too much education. I just had a bachelor's degree then, but they're like, oh, you're too educated. You won't get on. I was like, oh, I really want to be on a jury. So let's see what happens. So I get picked for the jury and no joke, right when they were like, you know, they tell who's going to have to leave. And, and I'm still there. And I'm like, oh, you don't think I'm too smart to boot off your jury? I was like, I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? I'm not happy no matter what happens. But really, really, mostly, I was so thrilled I got to do it. And I for sure was the only jury who, juror who was pumped about it. So it was a week and a half long trial. And I remember taking notes about what the, in fact, I thought, I still even have my little notebook because I'd taken... <laughs> A journal with me and I was taking notes on what I thought was going on or what I thought about people or things. And I'd also taken a book with me uh, that I checked out from the library on how to open a flower shop because with no kids to take care of, right? Because people will take care of your kids for free when you're on the jury. So i Called in all my favors. I'm really kind of going into this more than I probably need to, but I love it. Um, I went and bought my new, I bought a newspaper and read it over lunch. I bought my lunch and I paid for my parking and I was not in the hole. And I was like, I didn't have to take care of kids all day. This is the best. So (laughs) anyway, it was a week and a half long trial. It was on an issue of bad faith. The defendant was mid-century insurance, which is owned by farmers. So anecdotally, people think of it as the Badillo was the name of the plaintiff. And it's a farmer's case, even though it's Badillo be mid-century. Anyway, I was fascinated by the theater of the trial. I thought the attorneys on both sides were fascinating for totally different reasons. We get to the last day of trial and we're in uh, jury deliberations. And I think it's just like late afternoon. They just did closing in the morning and we started deliberations before lunch. And anyway, we had a verdict before the end of the day. One of the jurors, we have, we had Eight people who'd signed, we needed one more, and people are going around the table saying why they have decided one way or the other, and I say why, and and so that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm supporting the plaintiff, and the last person to sign says, 
what she said, I'll sign it. So she signs it. So it was like a thrill for me too, right? So I'm like, yeah, this is fun. So it's a plaintiff's verdict. And in, there's a few interesting things about the verdict too. For one, it was appealed. And the Oklahoma Supreme Court was like, yeah, no, there's not, you know, the burden is like really high to actually overturn it. The Supreme Court's like, yeah, no, there's no evidence here to support a plaintiff's verdict. So they reversed it. And then there was like a change of staff on the Oklahoma Supreme Court after some number of months. And it was sent up again. Oh, wait, could you guys like reconsider your decision? And then they reinstated it. So by then, I'm in law school. And I was in law school because after that June, in August, I reached out to the judge who presided over the trial and said, may I take you to lunch? I'd like to know more about being an attorney. And she literally was the only attorney I knew in town, not from Oklahoma City. And uh, my husband and I had just moved here a year and a half earlier. I didn't know anybody. So I thought, well, she's a judge. So I guess she's a successful woman attorney. I guess. And she's the only person I knew. So I asked her if I could take her to lunch. And she was like, well, no, let's do a brown bag lunch and do it in my office. So it was Judge Nancy Coates. She invited someone from the public defender's office or the prosecutor's office. I don't remember now, but a woman who'd gone to law school with little kids. And so we had lunch together. And after that, I asked her if I could, um, sweeper floors, make a coffee. <laughs> so I could like be around the courthouse some more and get a little more exposure. Cause I definitely thought being a juror was fun, but that's not being an attorney. So I thought if I got more exposure, that'd be helpful. So she was like, yeah, I already have people who make my coffee and sweep my floor, but you are welcome to come. So she set it up and I would get to read through motions and responses and she'd ask the attorneys if I could sit and listen to their arguments, if it was in camera, if it was in her office. I got to watch several jury trials. And over the course of a few months, oh, then she called me a volunteer. It was great. <laughs> um, no help to her whatsoever. But she'd be like, okay, I want you to read these things and give me your thoughts on it. I wasn't even in law school. Yeah. <laughs> I said would have been the tiniest bit helpful to her. But she was just so nice. Yeah. One day she says to me, I just really, I just, I'm really taken by how brave you were to reach out to a judge. And I remember in that moment feeling so self-conscious because if I thought it required guts, I would have never done it. It was just like, you're the only woman I know in Oklahoma City who has a law degree. So it just was like, it made sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, no, no sense at all about like, oh, she's a judge. I should, you know, be mm-hmm. a little more. Uh, self-conscious or something. But anyway, it was a very sweet compliment that I all of a sudden was like, oh, what what else do I do in my life? Or I'm just like, we can do this, right? So I applied that spring and started at OCU in the fall of 03. So just a little over a year after I'd been a juror. So my first semester of law school, a friend asked me if I would like to work at his firm. Uh, He was at Pierce Couch, insurance defense firm here in Oklahoma City. And I told him, look, you know, the people at at my law school are like, oh, you can't, you're not allowed to work until like the end of your first year. I just, that's the way I interpreted it. So Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not allowed to. (laughs) But I was like, I'm going to be at the top of this class. I 
am not smarter than anyone here, but I will work harder. So mm-hmm. I was like working, studying really late at night. And I was like, I'm, I can't get a job. I got to spend all my time studying and going over these flashcards and making flashcards and whatever. So I do that and I land right in the middle of the class after the first semester. And I was like, well, half of y'all wish you had my grades. But, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I just can relate to that so, so much. much you know? like, right? insane, yeah. So I was like, well, there's that. There's the silver lining. But uh, what is a practical matter are we going to do next? Because my being at the top of the class is not going to be what gets me my job opportunity. So I called my friend Scott and I was like, so about that job. So uh, I worked all the way through law school, starting from that. That semester, I was a law student, law intern, whatever, at Pierce Couch. From that second semester of my first year, I started in the evening division, moved to day. My entire law school was three and a half years. It was supposed to be like five years. But then once I moved to day and then I moved to full time, that that was the way it looked. So I'm at Pierce Couch that spring semester, I think it was. And in all the time I worked at Pierce Couch, Only one time did the partners come around and say, every single lawyer and every single law student needs to come to this big conference room, which literally has a table so big, everyone can be around it. Massive conference room A at Pierce Couch, huge. Anyway, it's a really long table and everybody's, you know, being called in. And Lynn Babb is like, we got the Badillo case. There's this case. We got to talk about it. They just reinstated the jury verdict. I'm like, oh, (laughs) was a juror on that trial he's like I'm sorry what how did I not know this (laughs) so it was really funny yeah oh but I mean they weren't involved in the case it was just big news oh Um, for bad faith what went way down as in it made it a lot easier to prove bad faith because of the way the decision went and of course before it was reinstated it was gone for good right because the jurors clearly don't know what they're doing. There was clearly not enough evidence to even find for the plaintiffs. So it was just a big back and forth. And yeah, and I was a juror on that case. I talked the last person into signing. So I just, I love the theater of it. I did start right out of law school at Pierce Couch. After a few months, I realized I was looking for another job. Pierce Couch is actually awesome, but their starting salary was really low. And I, for me, who was much further along in my life experience. I had three kids. I was a single mom at that time, by that time. And uh, I just thought, well, they did exactly what they promised, but I'm really having a really hard time making ends meet. So a friend of mine that I met while I was in law school who works at Farmers, I run into her Mm -hmm. and I let her know, hey, Angie, I'm honestly, I love where I am, but I am looking for a different job. I'm primarily looking for something that would pay better, like as in any job that would pay better. And she's like, you're kidding because we have a spot and you totally need to come work for us. Well, her boss was on the stand for six hours of the Badillo trial. And remember, I voted for the plaintiff. So I'm like, Angie, there's no way farmers would hire me. Like I've cost them too much money already. There's no way. Because it's a $2.1 million verdict. So not a little one. So she's like, no, 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 you have to apply. Well, long story short, I actually got that job. So my very first litigation job out of law school, like actually trying cases, was for farmers who was the defendant in the case I was a juror for. So it's a very unusual story, all these things. And now 
In my present practice, I am co-counsel in many of my cases with Mark Bilek, who was the plaintiff's lawyer in the video case. He just followed me all along. And now I call him about questions I've got on cases. And occasionally I get to rope him into trying or handling a case with me. And so we do that. But yeah, it's a little town. I feel like everything worked out like it was supposed to for you. You know, you had that, you were a juror and you were like, oh, that kind of looks interesting. And then it all panned out this way. It just makes it seem it's crazy. I don't know. Definitely like solidifies that you're on the right path. And I mean, the fact that now you're also a judge light. I mean, yeah. I think this all really comes in because like now it makes sense more why you're like, I wasn't so familiar with that because you've basically been on the civil side for your entire career. So that makes more sense now that you said that. Wow. I mean, you weren't kidding whenever you say that like everything came together. Um, I have like so many questions though. So whenever you were talking about you basically, okay, you from when was the trial and then how what was that timeline? Like you took the LSAT and then you were like, you said like part-time night or, you know, how did all that work? Yeah. So I um, was a juror in June of 02. I applied uh, basically about a year later and started in the fall of 03. I completed my education in December of 06, took the February bar and um, was sworn in in April. So you had kids while you were in law school, like they were small children at that time, I'm assuming. So how did you handle that? I know we have a few moms in our classes now and I mean, it's tough, you know? So how did you deal with that? What were some struggles that you faced if you faced any? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, you know, being a mom at all is challenging, but it was hard. It was hard. Time for one, your time is, is split considerably for purposes of preparing for class. And of course, just being in class. One reason I I didn't even apply to OU, I only applied to OCU because I live in Oklahoma City and wasn't had no intention of moving. Our family was pretty settled where we were and OCU was right down the street. So that was trying to capture that time back. But beyond time, playtime was hard, right? Like it's one thing you come home, you have a meal with your kids, you do the things that need to be done, but I, I found that to be really hard, finding the time to downtime with the kids. I uh, mostly would spend the evenings once I was, because I basically was in class other than the first semester, really. I was basically in class and at work nine to five-ish, we'll say, right? So it looked kind of like a normal working parent's workday in that by the time I was home by five-ish, we would have the evening together. And then once the kids went to bed, I would get the books out, right? And basically fall asleep every night 
on my books. That was really how it looked. But I definitely, I remember I got up early. I do now too, but there were a few years in between where I was like, I don't have to get up early anymore. This is great. <laughs> but uh, but back then I definitely was up by 5.30 and getting the workday started. But I really mostly just preserved that evening time. And then mostly the weekends, I would just take my books. If we went to the pool, I would take my books and I would be reading things when they were running around, you just uh, find ways to squeeze it in. But yeah, I, I would say the time and and the and particularly play time was hard to come by. Ultimately, you just you need to be sure of your why, why you're in law school. That that there are sacrifices that you're going to make that will be made on behalf of the family because of your decision. And uh, focusing on that why will help you get to the end. Nobody's life is without compromise. Nobody's with their kids all the time doing all the things the kids want to do all the time. I mean, let's just imagine that really exists. That's not good for the kids anyway, right? Like, (laughs) you know, that's not good for anybody to get what they want all day, all day long. And that's just not, nobody gets coping skills that way. I think one of the hardest things for me has been allowing myself to reframe what feels like pressure and can be guilt as just, oh, this is just our version of life. We have a goal as a family, shapes what we do and what we don't do. And being able to move forward with the freedom that this is the right decision, which will have some hard decisions that come along with it. But but those are not escapable anyway. There's not a path for your kids that doesn't include uh, you needing to say no sometimes and not being able to be at all the things. I did sign up to be a homeroom mom one time because I super sucked at that. And I met well, but there's this really nice mom who'd be like, oh, hey, so I just did you know something that I could have done the day before. Well, she got it done. And I was like, you did me a solid again, Janice. And I promise I'll never sign up to be homeroom mom again. Um, so again, you just figure out what is within your power to do well. And some things just aren't. And it's going to be okay. That's such good advice. I really like that. So what would you say is like your tip to success in law school for current law students? Okay, so number one, treat people right. It's just, I mean, that has nothing to do with law school, but mm-hmm. it has everything to do with the way people will see you, the way they will feel around you, um, the way they will feel about with regard to law school and that setting, um, the way that they'll feel about potentially referring a client to you in your future. So that's a reality of it. Um, that's a way to think of it in practical terms. But just treating people right is one of the most powerful things that you can do to create a successful path for you moving forward in your profession. Another thing is doing what, doing what you can in whatever role you have, right? So whether it's a group project, who loves group projects? Not me. <laughs> but you know what? They're going to be not just a part of occasionally a part of law school, not very much, but, but they're a part of your professional life too, moving forward. And not to mention, and this is really important too, in my role as a law clerk at Pierce Couch, it was important to me to be a law clerk, a law student who wasn't doing just what I needed to do or had to do, but doing what I could do. What else? One example So it didn't take me too long to realize that sometimes you get sent to the courthouse to file things without the check 
that needs to be given in exchange for filing that motion for summary judgment. All right. So it wouldn't be reasonable, I don't think, for a law firm to expect a law student to write that check to get it on file. That's, you know, that's not reasonable. But I liked, once I realized this does sometimes happen, and they really did want it on file that day, I realized I started taking my checkbook with me. And very rarely, occasionally, I would call back and say, hey, you want me to go ahead and just write this check? I've got one. And they're like, yeah, write it. Get it on file. We'll reimburse you. It's just a little example. Looking for ways to be a problem solver, to be someone who's thinking to next steps, how you can be more helpful, a team player, which would necessarily go beyond any job. No job is going to ask you to do your job plus more. But if you can find a way to be and to contribute plus more, again, it's just a really has a very positive, long lasting impact on your career because the people, your your laterals see it, not to mention, of course, the superiors see it too. And I already mentioned know your why. The other really good advice I can give you is, and it goes with the first one, which was just treating people right. You need to truly and deeply respect the support staff that you're working with in any space. So that can start in the law school environment. You're going to choose how you interact with the people that are uh, support staff for the folks that you need to have a conversation with for a decision to be made, right? But the way you treat those people is laying that foundation for how you're going to treat the clerks and the bailiffs at the courthouse and how you're going to treat the people who are at the counter who are file clerks. And no one's ever, there's never an expectation that someone, because they know you and they like you, that they're going to do something that's not within their power to do for you, right? It's not that, but it's just building that reputation so that when you do need some grace, because someday it's going to happen, right? But when you need that grace, the chances of someone having an interest in showing you that grace and giving you the freedom to file, you know, to even hold the door for you because the court clerk's office closes at five and it is closing in front of you. And they're like, she doesn't normally show up. She doesn't show up every day at the last minute, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen her. She's respectful. I like her. You get, you get your thing filed. You get your boss's thing filed that gave it to you 15 minutes before the courthouse closes. Um, those things make a difference. And I, I hate to make it sound transactional, but I just think it's important to express it in terms of like, it really does make a difference. I totally agree. I mean, that's something I know I try to do in my, just as being an intern and at the law school, you know, I think, and just in my life, I think that's something, a good one to live by. Always smiling at people. That's, you know, you never know who it, like holding the door, like even like you said, can help make someone's day even easier. So I love that advice. I love talking to you too. This is awesome. I'm so <laughs> glad we got to do this. You said that after or you left Pierce Couch, Pearson Couch, you became a trial attorney, mm-hmm. a litigator. So what made you want to do that? And tell us about that because okay. I know we're both interested in that. Hilariously, y'all, I had no interest in actually trying cases. I didn't do moot court. I didn't sign up for anything that required any extra public speaking, anything in law school. I took that job at Dobbs and Middleton, it was called. It was the in-house office for farmers because I needed a better paying job. And I was like, <laughs> I can do it. I got it. I'll learn it. Yeah. They asked me in my interview, what if? on the first day of work, you get asked to go try a case. 
I was like, I'll do it. Yeah, I got it. No, like, no worries. I'm like, just give me the job. <laughs> so, um, the fact is, is if I didn't need that job, I would have never picked it. But from day one, literally, actually day one, it wasn't my case. But I did go to trial on my very first day of work with a colleague, Wes Smith. It was his trial, but I did direct exam of his client. He says to me, we're over in Pot County. He's like, are you nervous? I was like, I mean, no, we work for a big company. If I could possibly screw this up, there's no way you'd let me do it. He was like, oh, well, you're right. (laughs) So... You're smart. (laughs) Let's just reverse engineer this. There's no way I could screw this up. So I think it'll be fine. But yeah, so I was literally in trial my very first day of work and it was a very good fit. I learned to try cases from them to trust myself. I was told by my boss, you need to trust yourself. You make whatever decision you need to make when you're in that moment. You may decide after you make that decision to never do that again. But we will back you up 100% and it'll be fine. But you need to trust yourself, navigate that space. When we went to trial, my very first trial, my actual very first trial, I was the only one at the table with my client. Um, So I never even second chaired, right? But I was really fortunate to learn trial work in that way. Be true to yourself, trust your gut, we'll back you up. Like who gets to try cases like that, especially on the civil side. But it was a really great environment. It's interesting because I did that for about three and a half years. I tried 12 jury trials for the defense side on a civil case. The, a win is even a verdict for the plaintiff, but less than what we'd offered them right? Or of course, a defense verdict, which is they just, the plaintiff doesn't get anything. I'm very competitive, right? So I never, ever in any of my trials when I was a defense lawyer, I never called anybody a liar. They're lying. Never did anything. (laughs) I had a lot of success so much so that I really kind of stopped enjoying it. I wasn't really figuring out how to shoot for the middle or, you know, tell jurors like maybe give them this much. I was always like, or it's a defense verdict, you know? And uh, so I was really struggling with that when a plaintiff's firm reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to change sides. And I realized, you know, um, even though I was in such a great office with such wonderful people, I learned so much from them and it was a really good environment. But I thought, I just don't think I got the opportunity to go to law school so that I could save an insurance company money. Um, There's nothing wrong with it but it just wasn't my calling. In law school, if someone had asked me, what kind of law are you not going to do? I'm confident a plaintiff's personal injury work would have been on that list. Like (laughs) I had like zero interest in that. And the defense side, that was a perfect fit for me. But ultimately I felt like people were getting little or nothing and I didn't feel good about it. And so switching sides and using my experience from the defense firm to apply that towards advocating for plaintiffs um, was, you know, kind of the next step. Because again, let's remember, I had no experience in criminal law. I had no experience with family law. So, I mean, that was just, that was the obvious next step. And that's, that's how I transitioned out of there and into the plaintiff side. So what would you recommend that law students that are interested in doing trial work, what should, what kind of skills should they really work on? What are qualities that they should 
you know, see if they have what it takes, you know, like what would you recommend now that you have all this experience? Yeah. I think in terms of skill sets, actually signing up for moot courts, a really good idea. Okay. One story. I'm sitting at a table next to my client. The judge is up to my right. In front of me is the table with the plaintiff and her attorney. In front of them is the jury. And I literally still remember thinking to myself, I should have done moot court. Like, why is this my first time? This is terrifying. Yeah. So doing moot court's a really good idea. Uh, Any kind of public speaking opportunities are going to help you build that skill set. Um, that's really invaluable in front of a jury or, of course, even a judge. The skill set for speaking in front of a judge is is more heavily weighted on your research and writing, right? But the jury work is going to be, can you connect with these people? You know, it's one thing to have the law and the facts, but if you can't communicate with those 12 people you've never really met, your client will suffer for that. So learning you're getting your legs and getting comfort um, in front of people is really important. The other thing that I would encourage people to do is, which is just a general piece of advice, and that's watch as many trials as you can. It's really, really good experience. Just getting down to the courthouse, obviously with coronavirus, um, there's, I, I'm not even, have we had and well, anyway, yeah. every courthouse is different. You have people, listeners from all over. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but my message would otherwise just be watch as many trials as you can. Getting really comfortable with the objections and how to respond to those is helpful. I think that's great advice. I totally cannot like second enough going to see trials because my whole like thought process changed. Like once I saw like how everything went around, like went down basically. And I think it's interesting too, because you kind of just familiarize yourself, like you're saying with public speaking, but also like with just the way how everything goes from, you know, like what you're doing on the referee docket all the way to trial, you know? And so it's really interesting. I think people who aren't interested or have no interest in pursuing being a litigator also can get invaluable experience by watching how conflicts do work themselves out in the courtroom, right? Having a better idea of how that language can be understood or interpreted, understanding, oh gosh, the facts, the facts in the law were really strong with this person's case. However, they didn't have a good a good advocate, right? And knowing that you can't always rely on just the words and knowing that, you know, if you're handling a case early on, knowing the value of understanding how your client is going to do in a litigation setting, right? So just getting a better feel for all the nuances, um, which is, that's doesn't even make sense. You can't know (laughs) all the nuances. That's the problem. But that's the value of watching a lot of trials because you do get, you kind of get your legs. um, Yeah. Exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So you started doing plaintiff personal injury work. Was this when you opened your own firm or were you working somewhere else? I started by working for a different firm, working for a firm. And after a I think it was three years there, I did start my own firm and drug all my furniture with me. <laughs> so how, like, how did you go about deciding to go out on your own? And what kind of advice would you give to 
law students who are thinking, hey, I want to open my own firm. And should they do it right after law school or should they wait? What's what's your advice? Well, I on the one hand, I wouldn't feel comfortable discouraging anyone from going right out because you know what? Sometimes people do it because they want to. Sometimes people do it because they feel like they have to. And I wouldn't want, particularly those in the latter group, I wouldn't want anyone to get a message of like, well, that was just a bad idea. That's fundamentally not a good idea. That I don't feel that way about it. That said, I do see a huge amount of value in working for another firm first. I could not be, would not be the lawyer I am on my own today had I started on my own. I learned so much, for one, being on the opposite side of the cases that I handle now, and then so much from being in a much, I mean, I, I'm me and one full-time employee. So the firm that I worked at before I went on on my own, I think they've got 50 employees and maybe 12 of them were attorneys. Maybe it's eight. I don't know. But anyway, much bigger. But I learned so much from them and the processes they use. And and a lot of that's translated into the way I do things. The other thing that is good about not just starting on your own, and again, not to be down on it, but the value of starting somewhere else also is um, seen in the connections you make, right? So so when I have questions about cases, if I'd only ever been my own firm, I wouldn't know so many plaintiff's lawyers, so many defense lawyers. And frankly, I can call on either one. As long as there's not a conflict, I can call a defense lawyer that I know and respect and get their help. And that was born out of a relationship that happened when I was given the benefit of the doubt and the context of the firms I've been in, right? Where they're like, oh, well, you were picked by them, right? That gives me an opportunity and access to people that I wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So I think my advice would be is to attempt to get experience in other firms before you get out on your own. But if that's not in the cards, then just like, you know, we, we've heard the story of me and then this happened and this works out. You know, listen. It's been a lot of heartache. There's been disappointment. There's been big fat surprises um, that I did not like. There's been lots of tears shed. But at the end of the day, I'm like, where am I at today? What's my next step? So if someone finds themselves looking at, I think I'm stuck opening my firm without any prior practice, it's going to be okay because that's your next step. And in that case, I think it's really, really valuable and important to join whatever associations are in your area for your area of law. That's that's now your firm. Mm-hmm. I'm a member in my state of the, it's called the Oklahoma Association for Justice. It's just for plaintiff's lawyers. And a woman attorney one time, Simone Fulmer, she coined this expression and it really kind of caught on. But people, she said one time, it's like, it's our own firm of 600 lawyers, right? Because there's 600 members and we help each other. And so- There are many, many solo practitioners in that group. I started as a member when I was working at the prior firm, when I was working at the last firm I was at, plaintiff's Mm -hmm. firm. I didn't even know, and I'm not sure I would have even known it existed had I not started working for them, right? So I just think looking for those professional groups that focus on your type of practice, it's really important. These are the people that, you know, you can, by, by way of a phone call, you can walk down the hallway and have a conversation with a colleague and run things past them. That's every solo 
needs that community. And uh, so going right out as a solo may not be ideal, but it may be your next step. And if so, you really do want to do whatever you can to join those associations. And if it's like, oh, it's a $600 fee, you know what? Freaking call them and say, will you waive it? Because I really need to be in this group. And will you? They just really might. I like that. Never be afraid to know, you know, that's the worst they can say. I'm a big fan of that mantra. <laughs> I think that was great advice because I was, I've always thought to myself, like, maybe I want to work for like 10 years and then open up my own firm. But I mean, now seeing it and like you doing it, I could easily see myself taking a path similar. So very cool. Can you tell us a little bit about Girl Attorney? Yes. So Girl Attorney is a networking and education space community for uh, women attorneys. It's for women attorneys, but it's welcoming of law students. But it's just not a place to exchange law school outlines is all. Mm -hmm. But uh, law students are definitely welcome. And it's a place where women get questions answered, where they get people to cover their docket, where they are able to send over and receive referrals from people that aren't down the hall from them, right? Maybe people they don't even know, but they're connected through the Facebook-based groups. We have, at last count, just over 27,000 women attorneys connected through the Facebook groups. We have um, a state group for every state, although I'm pretty sure I'm still the only girl in Alaska because I'm in all the groups because I admin them, but... um, but there is a group for every state, and and then there's a national group too. The primary purpose is of, of Girl Attorney is fleshed out every day in these groups. It's to just create the space for women to connect. And that is happening, and I do know advertising, and the groups grow every single day. There are more women coming in. And it's a really great example of being better connected makes you stronger, because you have access to more answers, you have access to more forms, and more people who know other people who can help you with whatever is going on. And the education component so far has shown itself, demonstrated itself through GalCon. That's an annual conference that the second annual was supposed to happen this year in the spring, also in DC as the year before, but unfortunately had to cancel because of coronavirus. So that's very sad. But the first one came off without a hitch and was a really sweet connection space for encouragement and inspiration. And you got CLE too. It was a really sweet, sweet time. And I look forward to us uh, getting back to it. So what inspired you to start Girl Attorney? Was there something that happened or did it just come to you as an idea? And how did it start growing? Like, what did that timeline look like where you realized like, wow, this is, this is really something that is awesome, you know? So as a female litigator, and more so when I went to the plaintiff side, women are in the minority. There's very, it's a very small, small percentage of women plaintiff's lawyers. I had a number of experiences that were shaped by the fact that I would be with my colleagues and they would just not know I was one of them because I didn't have that bonus body part. And and it wasn't an issue of, of my colleagues being rude to me. These are 
gentleman who wanted to be nice to somebody's wife who was there with him, right? Like they were just like, who are, whose husband's yours, you know? Yeah. So they were, it wasn't by and large, it wasn't a, a bad experience, but it was a, a sad experience yeah. where you're with your people. You know, I, I can think of one conference I went to by then it was all for plaintiff's attorneys. By then I definitely, oh, by then I'd, well, I would have at least tried 12 cases. I don't know if I tried my 13th yet by then. But even plaintiff's lawyers have a hard time getting cases to trial. So I had a lot of trial experience, probably more than half the people in the room. But again, I was just mistaken. I was always needing to politely say, oh, actually, I belong here, more or less, right? I would never use those yeah. words. But you know, you're just sort of going, oh, actually, no, I'm, I'm one of you. It was from that that I felt a need to connect with my female colleagues and have a space where no one was confused about whether or not I actually belong there just because of my physical appearance. Or my gender. With that, I um I started a Facebook group. I it was late at night. I added. I I didn't know how groups work at all, and I type in my friend Julie Kelly's name, like I'm going to invite her or something. I'm not really sure how it works. So I type her name in. I click return, and it's like she's been added to the group. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to explain to Julie what the heck I'm doing. I had already put the name girl attorney. I'm like, uh, maybe she's asleep. Hopefully she's asleep. This is weird. I have no description of anything. I'm just trying to figure out how it works. So I sent her a message really quickly. Oh, Julie, I was thinking about starting a group for women attorneys and you know, adding my girlfriends. I'm trying to figure it out. She writes back immediately. That's a great idea. I'm glad you added me. So I ended up making it official and doing a whole description. And about a month later, I actually added all of my girl attorney Facebook friends, which was 46 people total by then. So I added 45 more people. And then a week and said, hey, I know all y'all, but not all of you know each other. So um, introduce yourselves and you're welcome to add other women that you think might enjoy a space for just us. And it just went from there. It was a week later, we had over a thousand people in the group. And then within a couple weeks, people started actually asking legal questions. By the way, that thought never occurred to me. I thought it's Facebook. And this was four years ago, which is kind of a long time in tech terms, right? So four years ago, people weren't putting their, there were very few attorneys who even would put like a Facebook account together, right? It was like, that's not really professional. It's Facebook. So I didn't think of it being used in that way. I just thought it'd be kind of a nice place to just be ourselves. But within a pretty short period of time, people were asking, hey, does anybody have a form for this? Or does anybody have any ideas about such and such? But that's state specific at a minimum, state-specific, unless it's federal. But at any rate, so people asked, hey, any chance we could just get a group for just Texas lawyers? Like, sure. So I made that. And then I made one for Oklahoma because, hello, we started in Oklahoma. So created separate groups for each of them. And then I renamed the first group as the national group. And then we just added state after state, North Carolina, Tennessee, Pennsylvania's active. So it's interesting, you know, some states it's sort of a migration like, okay, well, Oklahoma and Texas is next to Oklahoma. Kansas is fairly active. Missouri is more active. But then over there in Pennsylvania, they're busy. So, and they're really active. So it really varies, but that's really how it grew is just people asking. And then at this point, 
once you're approved, you have to answer some questions to be approved in. Once you are approved in one group, all the groups, because of Facebook magic, are connected so that you can request to join another group and just click refresh. And now you're in that group. So if you've got a question, you're looking for someone to refer a case to in Florida, you can, you have no reason to be in the Florida group otherwise, but you can just type it in, click on it, refresh, ask for people to give you ideas, and you can just get right out of that group after that. So it's a really nimble way for attorneys from all across the U.S. to connect with their local community and to connect across the U.S. And again, a big thing, I probably think of that because I'm a plaintiff's lawyer, but even family law, you know, your dear friend who lives out of state. So maybe you practice family law, but you're not going to handle it because they're in a different jurisdiction. The other thing that I love is that, you know, think about if you're in a big firm, even a small firm, your value, if, they're, if you're on somebody's payroll, they want you to be bringing money in. They don't just want you serving their clients. In many, many firms, they would love for you to be bringing in new work, new clients, even people in big law. Hello, big law is serving companies. Who owns companies? People. Mm-hmm. Who are friends with those people? Other people. So even those big law spaces, it's a, it is, if you're connected in the groups, they can be a place of getting companies, getting businesses, and growing your book, which elevates you, which elevates your whole family which elevates your community and it gives you an opportunity to give back more. That's the whole point of Girl Attorney is helping women connect with each other, which lifts everybody up and helps to kind of correct what we're doing naturally among each other. Because we're like, hey, I'd love to refer to another woman because we want to do that. We're trying to correct the curve where men have also naturally referred to their bro, right? Like it's... That's the way it's yeah. working here. Yeah, like okay. that's the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is. So it, to be able to shortcut actual, you know, you actually know this person, who knows this person, but to be able to really just connect people because they're also women and they're in the space, it it hopefully, and I do see it, it really is giving people more business, which elevates their position in the firm and their value to the company, also just problem solving. That's amazing. Like, I want to be a part of it right now, I think. (laughs) Get in here. And actually, do I recall correctly that you guys have a Facebook space for law students? And and of course, from your podcast. Yeah, so I'm so excited about that because now I can be like, y'all are all welcome here, but guess what? There is a space exactly dedicated for you guys too. So I'm very excited as I was reading up more about you guys. I was like, well, bam, now I can tell people where to go. So I'm very excited about that. I think it's just great because we have talked on our podcast before about women in the workplace, specifically in the legal community and how there are a lot of times where women are just not taken as seriously. So I think that your community really helps build everybody up and I mean, it's kind of like what we try to do with law students and you're doing it for like the attorneys. So that's really cool. Well, it's a go team thing, right? Because you guys are at a different place in your career, but you're in the same career. We're all in this together. We're, we're, I just can't, I'm being repetitive unnecessarily. 
But I, I just really mean it. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I think the best thing about almost like in my mind of a collaboration between girl attorney and like ladies who law school is that I've just been dying for a mentor, mm-hmm. someone I can just call or like text about questions and just be like, Hey, is this the way it really works? Like I'm in evidence right now. Is this how this works? Like just be able to have those like legal conversations and like pick their brain and, you know, just kind of like how you did with the judge, you know, and she kind of just took you under her wing. I think that that is something that I would want to capitalize in the girl attorney. And I think could be such a good opportunity. I also think it's great for law students that listen to know about girl attorney because I mean, we like you said, the mentorship aspect, like they can join the group and kind of take a look of what it's like to be a woman attorney, you know? So I think, I mean, it's great. I'm excited yeah. to get, on, get on there. <laughs> so. If you're in, in law school, I was somewhat unique. I was somewhat new to the city and that's probably not the case for a lot of law students, but for me it was. And in retrospect, all I had to do was join a Facebook group to see, oh, so when I was applying, the only, I knew one woman, it was only because I'd served on that jury who'd gone to law school, to be able to just join a Facebook group. And now I get to see, okay, you get to see who's got a sense of humor, right? Because that's (laughs) in there, right? You got to see who's passionate about what, you get to see what are the constant questions to and addressing a certain area of law. You get to see people problem solve about billing. You get to see problem solve about uh, getting people to cover their docket because of pregnancy coming up. But just to know that these people have names, if they use their real name on Facebook, because some don't, but, <laughs> uh, but, but it does give you direct access to that community. Who are the community of women that you're going to be joining? The other thing that just makes my heart happy is if you are in law school in whatever state you plan on, let's say you are going to Texas when you graduate. Well, guess what? You just get in that Texas group and same thing. You're going to get to see who's there, who's practicing what they're doing uh, and how they're, and how they're managing things. Uh, And really now it's, it's just the Facebook group, right? But, but you're going to see who are leaders right? So you're not going to see all the leaders in the community who are women attorneys, but you're going to see leadership demonstrated within the group. You're going to see that. And, uh, and those are the people you're going to be like, so, Hey, I was wondering if you've got time for a cup of coffee sometime. Um, And they'll say, yes, they Mm -hmm. will say yes. Obviously we love to talk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't mind talking. So, and there are others, but call me. I love to talk. And I love that. <laughs> I love to talk as well. I mean, that's why we started a podcast. True. So we talk maybe a little bit too much sometimes. <laughs> I didn't let you talk too much this time. I'm sorry. And you're welcome. <laughs> okay. So we got a few questions from listeners yeah. and um, they're interesting. So I'm just going to rattle off a few. One of them was, can you be a successful attorney without working 80 hours a week? Oh, well, that's a, that's a solid Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's no question about that. Now, if, you, if you've got ambition for big law, I don't know that there's a path forward there where you can be successful even where you are working. You are literally only working 40 hours a week. 
I don't, I don't know that that is really an option, but that is such a small percentage of the jobs out there. And there's a million ways to use your law degree. Mm -hmm. I think probably, and, and some people like to work 80 hours. I mean, they just do. (laughs) Some people do. I'm a definitely a workaholic. And uh, if I didn't have other things that I also care about, I could totally work 80 hours a week. No problem at all. So there's that. But in as much as someone doesn't want to work 80 hour weeks and still view themselves and anticipates and would hope that other people viewed them as being successful, that has nothing to do with how many hours you work. That has everything to do with how you conduct yourself. Um, Do you show up to hearings prepared? Um, do you finish, do you ask for dead, uh, extensions on deadlines all the time or occasionally? Are you always providing excuses for why you haven't quite fill in the blank or are you getting it done? And occasionally asking for some grace, right? Because again, this is not a space for perfect people and it's okay. How many hours you work has nothing to do with your success. No, for sure. So what does your, you know, day-to-day routine look like, especially now that you're in private practice? So yeah, I'm sure it's different than when you were at the firm. Yeah, I guess it is. It is. But especially just in the last few years, because in the last two years, I, I really did get back to getting up early. I get up early. I work out. I get ready for work then. And after that, I go downstairs and I get my phone. I have stopped going to bed with it um, next to me, which I've done for years. Actually, that is a change I just put into place about three months ago. I was like, what if? And oh my gosh, it's delightful waking up and not <laughs> my phone. It's amazing. And so you just kind of do the workout thing and that's you and whatever the instructor person you're listening to, right? And and then just get ready and decide what to wear. I don't know. It's just like way more normal than the phone, the phone, the phone. It's just too easy and it's uh, present otherwise. But yeah, so get up, work out, um, get ready. And typically I'm at the office by 8.30. There was a long time my assistant was like, I don't really count you late till nine. And I would sometimes stay here at 10. But um, now that I've done, started doing the referee work, I have to have more structure. I have to have my entire morning to do client work because I'm going to be at the courthouse for on average, a couple hours, Monday through Friday, every single day. So for that reason, I impose more structure on myself so that I could get that work done. And then I come back to the office after the referee docket's over. It's usually over by three-ish. Occasionally I go to four and I've had one night we weren't done until 5.15 and because of the weightiness of the work, you know, you're talking about kids who are getting into trouble and you're talking about parents whose kids are uh, being removed from their home. And that's a lot for two hours, but for four hours, over four hours, that was a rough day. And I was like, I'm not even going back to my office. I am all done. But most of the time, that's really what my day looks like. Okay. So you started girl attorney and I mean, you know, you're talking about being a personal injury lawyer and going to these conferences and it's majority men. Did you ever feel insecure about, you know, being an attorney and, or, you know, just any, like in that situation, did you ever feel insecure or, and maybe that's the reason that you wanted to have more of a community or anything like that? You know, I don't know if I'm sure it is rooted in insecurity. 
I think the stronger emotion I feel in the situation you describe is honestly, it's annoyance. Mm-hmm. I'm just annoyed. Yeah. I don't, I, I have an experience of just finding it exhausting that my own community doesn't recognize me because of my gender. It's just yeah. fundamentally annoying. And it's such joy to be among men and women who see you as belonging. That's true, whether it's your legal profession or your faith community yeah. or uh, where your kids go to elementary school. Like, I'm pretty sure they're all like, that's the mom that doesn't stay home with her kids. And you have some insecurity about that, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, mom, just like you. I think it's accurate to say that there's insecurity feelings there. But the stronger emotion I feel is annoyance and wanting to shift gears so that I feel welcome and creating a space. It's real important to me that everyone feel welcome. That's one reason why I've never turned, I personally have made the decision to not have girl attorney be a nonprofit or something or a professional association where then you've got a board and you've got a hierarchy and you've got committees. And I thought it was important to create a place where everyone just comes in and they're all equal. Mm-hmm. There is no next step. There is no closer to the center. There is no higher up. Yeah. You can be the partner at the the silk stocking firm that everyone really wishes they could have gotten a job offer from at least, right? Right out of law school. So you can be a partner there, or you can be the woman who was like, I don't get why I'm not getting a job offer, but I got to work. So I'm going to hang out my shingle and I'm going to be on my own. Um, those people can, when they're in girl attorney, they're equal. Mm-hmm. They have equal access to everything. There's and something nice about that. Equally mm-hmm. amplified. Yeah, it's it's equal. But being able to support women so that they can go do those things and feel more empowered and confident in those spaces, that's that's what we want to do. So, what is the future of girl attorney? What do you do? You think you're just going to stick to Facebook groups, or do you have any plans other than GalCon? Okay, so that's just like the million dollar question that I think about when I'm falling asleep at night and when I wake up in the morning before I get my phone, I'm like, what do I do next? Um, Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's one answer is a podcast. Have you noticed? I actually said I was going to launch it, I think a year ago. And before that, I announced it. I was going to launch it a year before that. It's called May I Approach. I'm very proud of it. Got artwork done for it. But girls, I have the hardest time stopping and doing a recording. I've done it once. There is like one episode out there that I never even announced because I was like, I didn't really do any editing to it, but I had to get it done. But anyway, so, so I don't know what it looks like. I actually have started consulting with women I trust and men I trust to get input on, this is what I have. I have this sweet space. I have all these women connected how do I better serve them? What can I offer them that has value? That's beyond just saying, your voices are important. Here's a space for you. With Galcon having to be canceled this year, you know, it's sort of a natural next step. Well, I guess we just want to do it online. Let's do online CLEs. That's a possibility. There's really no reason not to do it. There's a lot of really good things that I'd like to see happening. I don't know what they are yet. I'm still assessing, particularly with that day I described, where it's 
already got things filling mm-hmm. it all day long. Um, and uh, adminning the groups is a is not a burden, and it's something that is very very easy for me to manage with the demands of my firm and my family. Hey, but maybe it just stays where it is for a while, and that all of us women attorneys can use it to the best of our ability. I think that that is a good goal in among itself though, still, because I'm so excited because there's going to be constant law students graduating that can join and learn and pick up and go to, like you're saying, Hey, I don't do this. Can I help one of you guys do this? I can just totally see myself being the type of person I am that I'm already in Facebook groups and like think it's really nice. It's at the thing, mm-hmm. the ease of access that it provides is awesome. Okay, so tell us where we can find you and mm-hmm. where our listeners can find you. Yes. Okay. So of course the Facebook groups are where the the majority of community is taking place. You would search for the groups by typing in girl attorney, and then you could put your state's initials. Um, the only other thing is the girl attorney national group. A girl attorney is two words, and that should pull it up. The other way to, um, if for some reason, because, you know, Facebook, sometimes you search for a group that you know exists and it isn't coming up. So that can happen. If something like that happens, I'd encourage people to just email me. Susan, my my girl attorney email address is susan at girlattorney.com. And I'll just send you the link to the group. That's easy. And then otherwise, there uh, the girl attorney website address is girlattorney.com. And, um, and then I'm on Instagram where I'm pretty active on Instagram and I have two accounts, the girl attorney LLC, one word, of course, and that's the business account. And then I have a personal one too, Susan Carnes Curtis. And then I do have Twitter and that's the girl attorney. Same thing, both in the names, but I'm not too good on Twitter. (laughs) I get on, I get on Twitter, like Every 30 days, I'm like, no, that's, Twitter? that's like, how our Twitter is too. Yeah. I always forget that we have the Twitter and I'll be like, oh, wait, we have a Twitter. We should maybe post something on there. Yeah. Thing. I know I, I'm not good about it, but it does exist. And technically, if you send me a message, I'll get an alert about it. So there's not. I love that. You're like, I will find out about it eventually. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's I love exactly it. Right. Well, this has been so great. And I feel like I learned so much. I'm even more excited Mm -hmm. to get to practice law soon. I know we're both getting ready to take our MPRE and uh, get our LLI. And so we're really excited to be able to eventually start working. So this has just made me all the more excited. Especially you talking about trial. I mean, ever since I saw some court stuff over the summer. I've been obsessed. And um, I don't know, it's just awesome because I'm just like, ah, you know, it's so giddy. Yeah. yeah. So thank well, you so much for doing this. My pleasure. And both of your enthusiasm, your interest, your investment, you're on the right path. And that's going to lead to the next step. And I am so excited that I'm going to get to say, I knew them when and (laughs) see where your paths take you because it's going to be exciting and you're going to make a big difference. You already are. Thank Thank you so much. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Wow, guys. To say we enjoyed that is just an understatement. She is so inspiring. Like 
I cannot wait to start practicing law and become an official girl attorney. You know, it's really cool. I know. I was literally like fangirling so hard. It was just cool because I had seen her like in the referee court before during my internship and I definitely knew she did girl attorney and I was always so like intimidated, but she wasn't intimidating at all. Like, like so cool and so nice. And I'm sure if any of you guys reached out to her, she'd be more than willing to chat, you know? Yeah. And also, you know, look into the Facebook groups because I know we already joined them and it's just nice as a law student to go through there and see what people current um, practicing attorneys are talking about. Yeah, we will link that below. We'll link the um, national group so you guys can join. And then we also have a cool little collaboration that we're doing with Girl Attorney herself. So if you head to girlattorney.com slash shop, you will see all of these really cute Girl Attorney items But Haley, why don't you tell us about this super cute tote bag that you guys get a discount on? Yes. So, you know, we love a good tote. And right now, LWLS doesn't have one. So this is a perfect collaboration, you guys. And in honor of RBG and her recent passing, it's even more fitting that us law students get this tote and get this discount. So the quote on it says, fight for things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So guys, I'm so excited. I know me and Samantha are going to get one and you can use the code LWLS20 to get 20% off of your own girl attorney bag. So go to girlattorney.com slash shop to purchase that and some other items. The 20% discount only applies to the tote, by the way. Next week, we will start the Instagram student takeover, so be on the lookout for that. Well, guys, we really hope you enjoyed this interview. I know, like I said before, we thoroughly enjoyed this. And make sure you go check out the girl attorney and get you one of those bags. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. That's where we are most active. You can also like us on Facebook and follow our Facebook group that's linked below. A lot of good conversations going on in there, all about pre-law and 1L and just law student stuff. And yeah, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk to you next time. Yeah, guys. Bye. Bye.